Today's read, Midnight, a gangster love story by Sister Soldier. Chapter 38, Heaven or Hell. On a sidewalk on Main Street, the main road that runs through Jackson Heights, Queens, I picked up a girl's bicycle from a sidewalk sale for $40. I would gift it to Naja to make up for stealing her time on family day to deal with Akimi. I would take her outside for a while and teach her to ride. Bergdorf fucking Goodman, Conflict said when I came through the block with the shopping bag from Akimi and pushing Naja's small bike. Look at this motherfucker, he said to his man who was sitting on the chain as Conflict stood next to him chewing on a toothpick. I kept it moving at my same pace. I heard you came through here last night with some sexy Chinese bitch. Now that's something we could split two ways, he called out behind me. Let me find out you got something moving around here and ain't telling me, he said. I was up the walkway on my way past Daquan's benches and into the building. I rescheduled the house appointments till first thing in the morning. Uma and I practiced the 100 questions and answers for our citizenship papers. We planned to cram and take the test and recite the words at City Hall next week. Around four o'clock, when the shifts changed on the block and niggas who'd been standing out there all day would be replaced by a next set of familiar niggas to stand in their exact same spots, I took my sister downstairs and taught her how to ride her bicycle. She was thrilled. She almost never got to play on our block unless I was downstairs to watch her. For the first time, she played with two other little girls who were out there on their own, ready and willing to make friends so they could get a ride. I let her share with them as long as they all stayed within my eyesight. They took it. It was better than nothing. Standing still on the block always had its price. I saw Heavenly Paradise and a couple of her friends coming out the lobby of the other building. Wearing her spring colors and everything brand new, she left the other two girls waiting, threw on her mean walk, and headed over towards me. seen you in months she said where you been working I answered her with one word you got something for me she asked nothing I replied matter of fact I did see you the other night right she asked I don't know I told her well I know she said coyly you know where I stay right over there in apartment 8F. You should come see me, she said, shifting her stance to give me a closer look while I was looking at conflict, pulling up, double parking, and looking at us. You better go, I told her. (laughs) Oh, I got him. 
Don't even worry about that. But come through with my gold chain. He bought it for me. And he's been asking about it. If I get a chance to see you, I'll tell him I lost it. And you can keep it. He'll buy me another one. If I don't see you, she said, waving to Naja as she tried to balance herself on her new bike. Now conflict was inside his car with the windows down. He was cursing and leaning on his car horn. I knew it didn't matter what she said. The worst damage was already done. After we took the bike upstairs, Naja and I washed up. We all three prayed and enjoyed Uma's meal. Afterwards, I took them both to the Open Mind bookstore with me. I was feeling uncomfortable leaving them in the building alone, even in our triple-locked apartment. I had some business to take care of with Marty, and in the meantime, they could both find something to read and enjoy. As Uma flipped through various magazine pages, I asked Marty what he knew about real estate. That's a big question. What do you want to know? He asked. Which newspapers or magazines might advertise houses for sale in a decent neighborhood for a reasonable price, I said. Marty laughed. Planning on moving, he asked. Maybe, I answered. Brooklyn has everything, and I'm not saying that just to keep you close. Although I can't afford to lose my best chess rival, he said, smiling. He walked off and returned with a real estate newspaper. You might want to take a look at this, he said. You just have to decide what your family is really prepared to do. You must want a mortgage with a good interest rate, he asked. What if we didn't? What if we just wanted to buy the house directly, I asked. Nobody does it. Why use up all of your money buying a house on your own? when you can spend other people's money instead and then invest your private money into something smart and make your money make more money, he asked. A mortgage is a 30-year thing, isn't it? We would be in debt for 30 years and if we missed a payment or two for any reason, our house would disappear like it was never ours, right? I asked right you are. It's the American way. He was laughing, but I needed him to take me seriously. There are other options, he said. You could rent to own. You could find an owner who is willing to sell you his house, but the owner rents it to you instead and applies a certain percentage of your rent payment to the overall purchase price of his house. This way, At least your rent is going towards you owning the house one day. Then you can keep your private money freed up to do something that makes your money make more money, he said. He made it sound like it was easy business. I stood and thought about his words. I always thought that he had to be involved in some other kind of business because over the years, I rarely saw him receiving any customers, yet He was always here, always smiling, like money wasn't the point. 
I never understood how he could keep his store door open without multiple daily transactions and sales. I owed him a game, so we sat down and played chess. You are a masterful player, my friend, Marty said after his defeat on his own chessboard. I thanked him for the compliment. No, it is not your chess playing I'm complimenting. It's your strategy in life, he said, smiling. What? I asked, not following his logic. Well, I won three games, and you won three games, he pointed out. I won the last three games in the last three weeks, I corrected him. Yes, and today you brought your queen along with you to my palace. You knew that no man could concentrate with a beauty like her in the midst. And what a lovely scent she has brought into my store. You created a diversion, captured my queen, and assassinated me all at once, he smiled, glancing at Uma. She is my mother, Marty, I said solemnly. I know, you've won, so don't show off, he said, resting his hand on my shoulder. I paid for Naja's two books. Don't forget my order, I reminded Marty. Put a rush on it, I pressed. If there's a book in the universe that I can't find, he said, then I'm not Marty Bookbinder, we recited the last part together. the three of us got on the train together and headed back to our building. I replayed Marty's statement in my head. The one statement that I would have normally forgotten. Don't show off. It was crazy to me how I make it my business to mind my business. To lay low. To keep my mouth closed to play my cards straight. But somehow, people, all kinds of people, still think I'm showing off and shining. How could I dim my light? How does a youth keep from shining when it's a natural thing? And why isn't it enough that I don't mess with nobody else's women, money, or things? Still, men wanted to have their things and my things too. Wars are made like this. Late that night, I put on my black khakis, my black boots, my black tee, my black gloves, and my black hoodie. From the rooftop, I watched my block. I needed to know how this cat was moving this week and where his most recent weak spots were located. All kinds came and went. Cops, strippers coming home from squeeze, jugglers, scramblers, dealers, regular night shift workers. When conflict's black Camry Benz pulled up and parked, I could see a male approach his car and lean in to talk with him. 
but I couldn't tell who it was, so I headed down. I knew he would sit in his car and run his mouth because he was the type who could never say something just once and never consider just shutting the fuck up anyway. On the ground level, I exited the building, shot straight across to Heavenly's building, opened the elevator door, and pressed every button so the elevator would stop on every floor. When conflict came up the stairs from the ground floor, he was cursing. Wait till I catch the little motherfucker who busted the light. When he came around the wall, separating the second floor from the third, I plunged my kunai down into the top of his head. He never saw the tiny and extremely sharp long blade. The ice pick-like weapon pushed through his scalp like it was pound cake and into his brain, or the space where his brain was supposed to be at. I twisted it one good time. He dropped down onto the stairs, spilling his Chinese fried rice and rib tips and dropping his nine millimeter. These were the things he was holding before death made his muscles relax. He must have been suspicious about the fact that someone had busted all eight light bulbs on all eight flights of stairs leading to his heaven. That must have been why he had his gun drawn. I flicked the small key light I carried on my keychain and checked his face. If only he could see how uncool he looked. He would have been disappointed in himself. There was no blood unless it had soaked up into his hair. Next, I saw just a tiny droplet of blood falling down onto his forehead. Only the amount that could fit through the small hole in his head, which was still jammed with the kunai. I pulled my kunai out. I stepped around his body and disappeared. The whole caper had been executed without my hands or my gloves ever touching his body. He had so many enemies anyway. I'd let the authorities kill themselves trying to figure it out, if they even wanted to bother. <laughs>